Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado. And you should be like Cassie Abel and start making plans to come ride our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. And yeah, we're going to get Cassie out here. You watch. And speaking of Cassie, our guest today is Cassie Abel, who is the co-founder and CEO of Wild Rye, which is a company that creates apparel for women identifying outdoor lovers from beginners to pros, regardless of age, background, size, or skill level. But as you are about to hear, Cassie is not just running a women's apparel company, she is actively working to try to change the entire business landscape for women. So Kristen Sinna and I talked to Cassie about all of this and more, and the result was one of my favorite podcast conversations that I've ever had. So I'm very psyched for you to hear it, and let's get to it. Well, Cassie, how are you today? And where are you today? I am doing quite well, recovering from my first COVID vaccine, which I'm really excited to have. And I'm in my office at Wild Rye headquarters in Sun Valley, Idaho. Okay, so you're located in Sun Valley, but kind of Ketchum specifically or Ketchum proper, or what should we know about this? Yeah, so technically we're in Ketchum. I think of Sun Valley as a whole community, but uh, we're located right behind Grumpy's. So if anyone's ever been to or coming through Ketchum, Sun Valley area, you're going to stumble upon Grumpy's and hopefully drink a giant schooner of beer after a bike ride. <laughs> it's like you go stumble upon it and then stumble away from it, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. A lot of stumbling. <laughs> Well, Cassie, Kristen and I are excited to be talking with you today. I guess let's just kind of jump in. If you had to give a little bit of the elevator pitch about what is Wild Rye, how do you answer the question? Yeah, so Wild Rye, we launched in August 2016, and we uh, craft beautiful and technical mountain apparel for women. And by women, we mean all who identify as women. And we specialize in mountain bike and snow sports first and foremost. But as we grow, we're starting to push more into outdoor lifestyle. Got it. And why the name Wild Rye? It's a very good question. We actually launched under the name Buttermilk Mountain Apparel and very quickly received a cease and desist order. A very friendly one. But we had a week to change our name before our winter inventory trims were finalized. So we had a week to change our name. And um, honestly, I like the name Wild Rye way better than Buttermilk. It's way more fitting for us. You know, as stressful as that week was, it definitely happened for a reason and we're well on our way. I think we're four years in, four and a half years into Wild Rye as a name. Okay. Okay, but it doesn't really tell us why you chose wild rye. I mean, you could have chose like butter toast. <laughs> we liked the, you know, the idea of being wild, but wild rye is a grass that grows at elevation. And um, we are lovers of the high alpine um, from snow sports to mountain biking and adventuring. Um, and so like the grass wild rye were native to the alpine. Okay, Cassie. I love the name. And can you tell us a bit about your background, how you started a women's mountain bike and adventure clothing company? How'd you get there? 
Yeah. So like many in the outdoor industry, my uh, path has been very winding. I played college sports. I was a lacrosse player in college. After college, I thought for sure I was going to work on Wall Street. So I actually worked for an investment bank for a couple of years. I then decided that I didn't want to work 900 hours a week, like researching elevator and sprinkler companies. Um, right when the 2008 recession hit, I quit my job and uh, <laughs> and very luckily found a job as like a, um, an office bitch slash account coordinator for a marketing agency in San Francisco. And from there, I really cut my teeth in marketing. Um, I worked on the visa account. I learned really by the books marketing and how to work with clients. During that time, I spent every single weekend commuting to Tahoe. So I was the crazy person in my office that would spend 8, 10, 13 hours trying to get to the mountains on the weekends. So about three, four years into that, I committed myself to move back to the mountains by hell or high water um, by the following winter. And I landed a marketing job at Grand Targhee and then was soon after offered a, a position at Smith Optics. So I was the global communications manager for Smith for a number of years before, before Smith relocated its headquarters to Portland, Oregon. So that's a long-winded story of my, my personal background. Um, but during my time in the outdoor industry um, at Smith, at Targi, um, I just felt, well, I'd attended just about every industry event out there across all categories of sport and found these really cool brands popping up for men, but not much for women. You know, Venture Out was coming to Outdoor Retailer, and there were all these super cool brands like Howler, and I think Topo Designs was more men's-oriented at that time. I can't, I can't even remember which brands I was uh, checking out, but there were a number that were of brands that were merging technical and performance features with a more contemporary style. And so my business, former business partner, Katie, and I were like, why can't we do this for women? Like, there's got to be a better option for women. So Cassie, can I just interject to keep the timeline right? And by the way, that was not long-winded. You succinctly put in like decades of history in like, I don't know, 45 seconds. I thought that was amazing for the record. But what what year are we talking now where you kind of first have this idea of like, we're seeing all this kind of cool stuff happening on the men's side of things. Where are we? We are probably around 2013, 2014. Um, and then Katie and I reconnected in summer 2015. And we're both just sort of noodling over this idea that one product wasn't there for women, but also the narrative wasn't really speaking to women like us. Um, it was still very competition oriented, um, fairly male, not fairly, very male heavy in um, big brands marketing campaigns. And just the way that these marketing campaigns spoke to people, they were really speaking to men, winning, being the best, like being elite athletes where... I mean, I've been a high caliber athlete, but at this point in my life, like I just want to get out and get fresh air with friends and like explore new terrain. And we just felt that there needed to be a huge shift in the narrative around how women were expected to play outside. And um, that's been another really important piece of the founding of Wild Rise, making women feel very confident that they're not not welcome because they don't stand on a podium. What is your history with mountain biking in particular? Because, I mean, you started as mountain bike shorts, is that correct? Or mountain bike apparel? So we started, really, we were, we're both skiers and we're both mountain bikers. Um, and we really wanted to 
build a brand that was a four season brand, um, more modeled off after European brands, because a lot of European brands are more snow sports in the winter and cycling in the summer, as opposed to just cycling year round or snow sports and climbing. Um, and so we actually launched with a four season plan. Our, um, Winter line was much smaller that first year for a number of reasons, including the name change and all sorts of other hiccups with starting a brand. But we've always had the intention of being a, a four season brand with the core in snow sports and uh, mountain biking. But yeah, in terms of my history with mountain biking, I was force fed a bicycle by my dad at a young age. Um, didn't really take to it, <laughs> fell off, scraped my knees a bunch. Uh, I was a ball sports girl, hundred percent. I was not really interested in this whole biking thing. Like he was a road biker and road cyclist and it wasn't my jam. I'm not an endurance athlete, like some of you people. And so I rediscovered mountain biking when I moved back to the mountains. I was um, offered a deal on a bike when I moved to Grand Targhee and started just playing around by myself. I tore open my legs, <laughs> was terrified of getting eaten by a bear, <laughs> got stitches in a bathtub <laughs> after one of my first rides. <laughs> so yeah, let's just say I uh, learned on the fly and was immediately welcome in, welcomed into like a really fun, relaxed, like more male mountain bike community when I first moved back to Sun Valley. But I just love riding with women now. Like that's my jam. That's my speed. And Cassie, I, I always find this stuff interesting. So even though you had a father who was really into riding, you were, I mean, you mentioned lacrosse, but what were you doing sort of the, the soccer basketball thing? Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was, yeah, I played three varsity sports all through high school, soccer, basketball, lacrosse, um, went on to play lacrosse in college, almost played ba basketball in college too. Where was your undergrad? Colorado College. Got it. You're one of those. I'm one of those. I, I can't. I can't escape them. They're everywhere. <laughs> Got it. Okay. I was definitely a ball sports girl. Like I remember my parents getting so frustrated because my mom wanted to go skiing and we'd have basketball games on the weekend, and she'd be like, "This is so stupid. I just want to go skiing." <laughs> That's amazing. So you, you. This is usually. I feel like. I don't know how frequently this happens. You have the passionate mountain sports parents with the child who just wants to go play the, I don't know, quote unquote, city sports. The ball sports. Yep, for sure. So Wild Ride, it's based in Ketchum, uh, Sun Valley, Idaho, as you mentioned, uh, which has been home to Smith, which brought you back into the mountains. Um, I think Scott was there at one point too, right? So I imagine since you, you did the San Francisco, you did the commuting, you want to stay in the small town, but how do you grow a business? in a town of that size? Like, what are your, some of your challenges that you're facing? Yeah, lots, lots and lots. I mean, I could go on for days. So hiring is challenging. Housing is challenging. That's nothing that's going to surprise anyone. Um, we were doing all of our shipping out of our office right here in Sun Valley up until about two months ago. Um, we were hand shipping, hand packing every single order. Our post office gave us hell <laughs> every time we drop drop off a bin of orders. Um, that was really ch challenging from a morale standpoint is whoever had to drop the bin off at the post office was going to get an earful from whoever was behind the counter about how they don't want to scan all these packages. It's too busy. 
Um, we also had challenges getting our inventory in here. Um, we found that the freight trucks only showed up to town once a week. And so um, we had orders that were delayed, delayed, delayed for countless reasons. And then we find that it's stuck in Jerome, Idaho, an hour and a half away, and it won't be delivered for another week. It's like so close yet so far away. I mean, I had my husband and I driving down to Jerome in our truck to pick up pallets of bike shorts to just get them live. <laughs> so not without its challenges, but it, I wouldn't do it anywhere else. I mean, it is such a special place and it's one of those places where you have the support of a community. So many amazing brands were born here, have grown up here. Um, I have great mentors. I mean, still in town, our first light and decked and a new ski pole brand called reflex, which is the revival of a, a ski pole brand that was started in like the eighties by a friend's dad. And he's just revived it. So it, this town has a hi great history of growing, um, really cool brands. And so being one of those new up and coming, really cool brands in this town is is worth all of the trauma. <laughs> just to stress you out more, I always just love hearing about some of the early growing pains. I, I just think that, you know, obviously we are in kind of an era where entrepreneurship and starting companies is, you know, probably more in the limelight maybe than it's ever been. And one, I like to empathize, but two, I just think it's good for people to hear some of these different stories from founders, right? And so I think it's also interesting because you have already told us you have a really impressive background where you're doing like high level marketing and like in a way you weren't like, I don't know, I used to play lacrosse and then I just thought, why not try to start a company? It's like, that wasn't your path. I mean, and so in a way it's like, boy, even with, you know, a really significant and rich background in sort of companies and marketing and branding and the like, turns out apparently there were st still some issues. Yeah. So what you're saying is I knew better and I still did it. <laughs> <laughs> I tell myself that regularly, but no, I mean, the challenges are endless. Like I could go on for this whole podcast about the things that went wrong, but um, I'll give you a few favorites. So Katie and I had been working on this idea for a really long time. Our first season, we were trying to be 100% US made, um, which I could speak on a whole nother podcast on US versus overseas made products um, and share some strong opinions. But yeah, so we had been waiting for this inventory to come in. We'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. We were supposed to launch in May, no, April 2016, come July, our inventory finally arrives, but the inventory did not arrive in a sellable condition. <laughs> so we're four months late. The chamois leg bands are sewn on inside out. So like the silicon sticky bits were out, like facing outside. We had to hire seamstresses to unsew and resew every single one of those leg bands. The, um, bag, the quote unquote baggy shorts, uh, the waistbands came in an inch over tolerance. So mediums were actually a large, large was actually an extra large, but they had their original, you know, size markings on them. So, I mean, and this is like, we're launching with four products and two of them are severely wrong. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's just one thing. And then, I mean, we could continue on. Like my business partner came to me two and a half years in and all the love in the world to her. We are still very, very close, but she's like, I can't do this anymore. I don't have a risk tolerance. I want out. Do you want to buy me out or do we let the business fizzle? And I was on the more front end, like seeing, you know, sort of the momentum and feeling that momentum and on the marketing side, like just hearing the feedback um, in a way where she was in the operational trenches and was just like so discouraged. And so, you know, two and a half years in, we had to figure out how to organize a buyout. And we were operating between Sun Valley and Tahoe at the time, and we had to move everything 100 percent to Idaho you know, redesignate the business as an Idaho business and all that paperwork all over again, transfer all the trademarks, things like that. Like, I think we're still, still slowly dealing with some of that, to be honest. Like, I don't know that everything's a hundred percent transfer transferred over yet. Um, so then my first spring of doing all the operational stuff, I didn't know I had to place a formal purchase order with our factory. And, uh, <laughs> One of our factories came to us. It's like, say, hey, are we still making the short? Like, what's the deal? When are we getting the purchase order? And I'm like, uh, are we not already making it? What is happening? So uh, one of like this new short we were planning to launch again showed up like three months late because I didn't know I needed to place a formal formal purchase order. So, I mean, those are just the highlights. <laughs> That's a ton of challenges, even just dropping off your mail at the post office and not getting that love for like, oh, you're keeping your business in town. That's that sounds really frustrating. But how do you stay motivated? This might sound a little cheesy, but I just believe so deeply in what we're doing. It's just it's yeah, I, you get knocked down for sure. And you need to like go recharge and like get out on your bike or ski and just say, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this, but say, fuck it. And just say, like, I just can't do life today. And then you, I don't know, come back Monday and you're like, okay, like I'm re-energized. I got outside. I remembered why I like this and I love this and want to keep doing it. But, um, I just so believe in creating a really amazing community surrounding really great product for all those who identify as women and, um, you know, moving the needle in the outdoor industry. I think that we're, you know, there are a lot of um, smaller female founder founded brands popping up, but I genuinely believe that wild rye has played a big part in starting to move that needle towards paying attention to women's needs a little bit more. And, um, that's incredibly important to me personally. And, um, just the feedback we get from customers and community members, it's just, it just, it keeps me going. Well, Cassie, you maybe sort of just answered the question, which with a really good answer, but I, I am really interested to hear you go back to that time. And I think it's such an important thing for people to understand this crux decision where you had a co-founder say, you know what, this life, I, I, ain't, I ain't really about that, right? And it's like 100% makes sense, right? And I'm just curious, back in that moment, you mean, you just said the reason you keep going is because you believe so much in what you're doing, and that's very energizing. But in that moment, were you close to being like, my God, we're facing all these challenges, and I'm about to have to kind of do that solo? Were you close to saying, like, maybe I should fold the tent or whatever one set? What is that expression? Fold in the tent or pack up? 
roll, throw in the towel. I think we throw in the towel, not the tent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Camping does sound nice, but <laughs> in all honesty, no, like not even an ounce of me wanted to let the business fizzle out. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I wasn't living in the trenches in the, of the operation side of the business. I wasn't physically packing orders. I wasn't like physically picking up inventory and taking it to a seamstress in California in those early days. Katie definitely took on most of the brunt work when it came to um, just taking one step forward every single day. And I don't know how she stayed motivated, but um, as long as she did. But I think that, yeah, I didn't hesitate for a second. I mean, was I scared? Yeah. Hell yeah. Like that's, ex that's a lot of, a lot of money and commitment. And I was still running another business on the side. I was still consulting, just paying my bills um, and was for a long, up until about two months ago, not two months ago, six months ago. But, um, but no, I didn't hesitate for a second. Other question on what you had just been talking about, you know, when you mentioned you launched with four products, two of them were messed up. Then you talked about the purchase order. So there were these delays, like product wasn't coming out when it was supposed to. How forgiving were customers or, you know, partners, retail partners or whatever of that? Or how much did that just turn people off or say like, get your, get your act together here? What, what was that like? Cause I think that's another really important thing for people to hear about your own experience. It's like, do you, did you find you got second chances here or you were on to different, different folks? Totally. We were very careful with our messaging. Um, when we launched those shorts that were like the wrong size, um, we also were predominantly direct to consumer at the start, which helped because no one really knew what was going on in the background unless we told them. And we did end up telling them and tell them, you know, hey, starting a business is really freaking hard. And these are the challenges we've gone through. Um, just so you know, like this is why when you order a medium, it's going to fit more like an, a large. So if you're a medium, order a small. Um, and then on the chamois leg bands, I mean, we had them fixed before we launched them. So, um, that was just a, an expense that we had to eat. Um, in terms of the delayed PO, we still weren't pushing wholesale too much, but we were working with REI at that point. And, and I can't remember exactly what happened. They've been incredible, incredible partners to us. So, um, whatever it was, they might have canceled some early season purchase orders that they weren't going to be able to make up, but I can't, I can't remember exactly, but either way, it hasn't damaged our business with them at all. I mean, we have been in situations with other retailers where like, for example, COVID hit, Oh God, I could talk about early COVID season <laughs> and the business for a long time too. Please do. So I had a baby in December before COVID. So I had a two and a half month old. Um, we were waiting for our spring line to land. We had purchase orders due for our fall winter inventory around that same time. Like I ended up deciding not to place the fall winter purchase orders. Cause we just didn't know. I mean, ski resorts were shutting down in March, like retail stores were shutting down. They were going to have tons of excess inventory. And so we ended up canceling, um, a couple pieces for fall. Luckily it wasn't like a 
big, you know, we didn't have a big plan for fall 21, but in the midst of that, our Shopify capital account was hacked and stolen. (laughs) It was just like one thing after another. I got COVID. My mom had COVID. My dad had a heart attack. It was like all within a month. So yeah, it was, it was life like times a hundred. But anyway, so point being on that story is that, yeah, we had one retailer basically say, Hey, we're going to kind of reset with you guys. Like you ended up canceling the SKU last year. And like, we had some manual shipping issues with that same retailer. And so they've kind of started, you know, they haven't dropped us, but they just were like, okay, like let's start from scratch and rebuild, which I get it. And that's fine. We've got great relationships with so many other retailers and so many of our direct customers, like it's not really making a dent in our business, but it is like a wake up call. Like, Oh gosh, like we got to be on our a game with these guys and with everyone. By the way, you are being so transparent about those challenges. And like, I almost want to, we're going to definitely get to like how well things are going. Right. Because there's that part of the story too, but I think it's both really brave and really freaking helpful for founders to be honest about this stuff and just be transparent because I still do think we have a little bit of a culture where it's like, oh, it's so cool and sexy to like run your own thing. And it's like people need to know about the challenges and the hardships and the grind. And if you aren't about that, don't start it. It sounds like you'll agree with me on that. I will 100% agree with you. I mean, let's get into the good stuff here in a second. But first, like, uh, you know, another challenge we face is we really want to be a brand for all women, which includes, you know, a size range that accommodates all or many, as many women as we possibly can. But it can't happen overnight. I mean, as a small brand, like our factories legitimately will say absolutely no freaking way. Are we making 10 sizes for you? Are we making 12, 13 sizes in one colorway um, until you get to like this volume? And so, you know, we've gotten there. We're able to make zero to size 18 in our most core products, but we still get criticism for not being as broad as we really genuinely want to be. It's just we have, you know, factory partners that also have to look out for their bottom line. And it's really expensive to create small inventory quantities and broader sizes. And, you know, we take a ton of heat for that. And, you know, I'm not trying to be victim, you know, sound like a victim, but like I take that really personally. And it's it's hard to take that feedback when you're like working so hard on something, but your business just isn't big enough to to do that, to do what you want to do. First of all, yes, to everything you just said. And here's my take, and I don't know, people can think, make what they want of this. The people who are most critical, I feel like, about some of this stuff, and you know, first of all, I doubt they've ever made anything or built anything, because I don't think people understand that there is a trajectory. Like, if you're a business. You no no business has infinite resources. Nobody is able to do exactly what they want to do or accommodate the broadest vision right now. And by the way, we don't see as nearly as much of that kind of critical thing that I think than what you're describing. But it's just like people, if we're all getting a bit more insight these days on what it is to actually create and grow a company, things take time. 
And if you're just sitting there throwing firebombs on social media at a company, it just is like you you just are ignorant. Like, I'm sorry, but you're just ignorant. And there are ways to sort of do it and say it like, hey, Cassie, love what you guys are doing, but would just really, really can't wait or hoping that, you know, you would expand size ranges or something like there are ways to do this that aren't like, well, I just assume you're pure evil. I'm just like, why does this need to be a way to act in the world? Yeah. And I, I mean, I completely understand the frustration. I just think that I really believe in being as transparent as possible because we need to educate people, you know, the consumer so that they can help provide more constructive feedback as opposed to just come at you. And, you know, I am a huge anti call out culture. Like it's just, it's not my jam. I'm not into it. I don't appreciate it. I don't do it. I think that there are so many ways to be more constructive about moving the needle and changing, you know, the way our society does things. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just want to be as transparent as possible and like, you know, I think that people forget that there are real human beings in some cases, in many cases for smaller brands, the founder of the brand, the person who's invested all of their time, money, resources, energy into this brand, fielding these customer service emails, fielding these Instagram comments. And like these people are trying so hard to do the right thing, doing, you know, good things and just taking the brunt of the frustration. Yeah. And by the way, Kristen... In conversations that I've had with Kristen about some of this, Kristen has started using the term like bullying that reframed things for me. Because on the one hand, it's like, I think some of the bomb throwers think they're being on the side of the right thing. But Kristen, just as we were talking about some of this, it's like, it's just a bullying tactic. And I was like, that's really interesting, actually. And it's like, well, what are we trying to do here? Like, are, like, And the thing is, when you're talking about like being able to expand and offer different sizes, it sounds like that's exactly what you want, too. You're on the same team. It's just like you just have to be able to get there and just like, hey, maybe a little bit of, little bit of charity, a little bit of patience. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think these people's oftentimes their heart is 100% in the right place. It's just the approach. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just, just remembering that like, you can't just hide behind a social media wall and like have a conversation about it. Ask questions. When might you have this thing? When might you do this differently? You know, what are your challenges to get there? If you're genuinely interested in making a difference, like I I think that people will find that most founders very much so want to have those conversations and very much so are on your side. And Wild Riot already does zero to 18, right? Which is more than like your extra small to large or extra large that a lot of companies are doing. So your range is already greater. And are you adding sizes each year? Because I, for some reason, I thought it went only to 16 last year or was it 18 last year? We went from zero to 12, which was sort of where we had to be to work with our factories to start. And we added zero, it was zero to 18 last spring and again this spring and there's definitely conversations and exploration in how to do 20, 22, 24 in a way that is really, really works um, with the right uh, fit models, with the right grading. It's uh, it gets different and complicated the broader the size range. So 
Yeah. But I mean, you've already demonstrated that you're working towards mm-hmm. it, which is really cool. So I don't, yeah, it's harder to see that in some other companies. So kudos to you yeah. guys. Thank you. So that's a really cool way that you guys are growing. Another way that it seems, um, just reading a little bit about Wild Rye, is uh, sustainability. It's big in the outdoor industry and seems like you guys are going in that direction. And can you explain how you're moving there or how you are there right now? Yeah, I think there are a lot of different components. I mean, the outdoor industry and the you know apparel industry in general, like there's nothing sustainable about that you know, but we can only do the best that we can do. And right now we are a hundred percent committed to every new product that we put forth. We will have very extensively researched the, you know, recycled or natural fiber option version of it. We have the option to, for people to offset their carbon footprint of the order on the site through EcoCart. Um, we're also going through the carbon neutral certification process. So we will actually pay to offset all of the, yeah, all the emissions that it takes to run our business. So we also really believe in quality. So, and I think that that's something that is oftentimes, um, not discussed in the sustainability conversation that, you know, the more quality a product, the less likely it is to rip or be damaged or yeah, ultimately end up in a landfill. And that's our ultimate goal is to get people wearing their products as long as possible, because we don't want any wild rye products to end up in the landfill and fill up. So um, another thing, so as you mentioned, you had quite the year or quite the first like four months in uh, 2020, but then you also started a woman led Wednesday, which uh, is pretty remarkable. Do you want to, ex- you'll do a better job at explaining it than I will. So can you go over um, the motivation to start that and what really, what is it and where it's going? So I think it was actually 2018 that I started Women Led Wednesday. So I just had been reading and following so much information about like, how do we get more women on boards? And, you know, I can't remember all the stats or yeah there were crazy stats out there about how few female CEOs and, you know, fortune 500 board seats were occupied by women. Um, and from my perspective, I felt like one of the biggest challenges for women getting there is the right experience. And, um, women are more apt to bring women up the ladder if, you know, there's women in, you know, women in leadership and, women in leadership happens when either women start a brand or they have the opportunity to go up the ladder. And so from my standpoint, I thought that if the general consumer made a point to shop women-led brands and really support financially those um, women in art who are already in leadership, even if they're at smaller brands, um, the more opportunities they're going to have to then hire and bring those other women up the ladder. You know, it's no secret that funding is incredibly lopsided in terms of supporting male-led brands versus women-led brands. And so there were just all these like intersections that pointed to like support women founded brands and we get more women in leadership. And so that's where Women-Led Wednesday came from. 
And so, yeah, I just shot an email out to like all the women founded brands that I could think of that first year. It was super grassroots. I built a Squarespace like website in a day and just manually added all these brands. I've since uh, (laughs) hired someone with a little bit of outside funding and mostly from my own pocket to build a full directory platform and um, more robust WordPress platform where brands can actually go in and enter all their own information, tell their brand stories, link to their socials. Like it really is a place for each individual brand to help tell their own stories. Um, And so the Women Led Wednesday website is intended to be a place where people can go and discover like, hey, like I am looking for a pair of skis or a bicycle, like are there any brands that are led by women who make these? And so you can go to the directory and look for like outdoor gear or beauty products or whatever. It's well beyond the outdoor industry and find a selection of brands that are led by women. And so, yeah, I mean, I wish I had more time to spend pouring into it, but um, it's to date has been kind of a seasonal campaign that, we pour a lot of energy into, you know, sort of August, September through the holiday shopping season. So does it like the Wednesday part of it? Is it based on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving? Is that where like the the biggest campaign is right there? Like, you know, there's Black Friday, there's small business, what, Tuesday? So... Yeah, actually, sorry, I totally skipped over that piece. But yes, uh, so Women Led Wednesday, the name came from and really like the actual event. The idea was to back up a second. I was trying to figure out like, okay, when does Wild Rye launch their holiday sales? There's not really a day for us. Like we don't get noticed on Cyber Monday because it's just like big brands pouring hundreds of millions of marketing dollars into Internet ads. Black Friday just feels super consumer driven, just doesn't feel like our jam at all. Small business Saturday felt more like a local, like mom and pop shop, like specialty retail, Um, felt very localized. And so, yeah, Women Led Wednesday was really derived from from that, followed by all all of the thinking that I put into that, um, having to do with getting more women into leadership. And so, yeah, Women Led Wednesday occurs annually, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and that day. And the other 364 days a year, uh, you know, the Women Led Wednesday community encourages the consumers, uh, general public to uh, think about shopping women led brands. So then any woman led business can just go to your website, enter their information, and they'll have a place that um, will showcase that they are part of this a woman owned or women led and yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's some criteria on the website, but the idea is that you're, you know, nationally shoppable at this point. So have an e-commerce presence or are in retailers across the country, but yeah, pretty much all women led brands are welcome and invited and encouraged to join us. Very cool. Yeah. So the last thing I think we really want to ask you about is you were accepted into a Tory Birch, the Tory Birch Fellows Program this past year. Is that correct? Yeah. The Tory Birch Foundation Fellows Program. Nice. And it sounds like a pretty big deal. It sounds like there were a slew of app- applicants and only a handful of people picked to participate in that. Can you kind of give a background on the program and um, what it's helping you accomplish with Wild Rye? Yeah. So, The Tory Birch Foundation 
launched the fellows program a handful of years ago. And this year, the cohort is 50 female founders, I believe, out of, and I think they said hundreds or even thousands of applicants. And, oh gosh, it's so many things. One, it feels like a mini MBA program, but like with like real life application to your business. So every quarter there's a different theme and we've had like more marketing oriented themes, supply chain themes, financing themes. And so we get to tap the resources of the Tory Burch Foundation and their community of experts. So um, we are offered the opportunity for office hours with these experts where we can have one-on-one -on -one conversations trying to understand like what makes the most sense for our business. Um, they're pretty much weekly presentations um, on different financing options, on you know customer retention, on sustainability. It's all over the place. And then this year has been a little bit different. Normally they kick off with like a, or at least in years past, they've kicked off with like a week-long in-person session. This year we weren't able to do that because it was in New York City in June in the middle of COVID. But we'll have the opportunity to pitch our brand to uh, a targeted room of virtual room of people this spring, depending on whether we're looking for like retailer connections or financing introductions. And it's just, I mean, being a a small brand in Idaho, it's like really opened our world. It's been an incredible experience. And then we have access to this network of past and present Troy Birch Foundation fellows to ask silly questions like, hey, do you have an accountant that knows how to do X, Y, and Z? And then like five people will chime in on their little, you know, community social media thing platform. <laughs> um, and, you know, we're working on potentially using a freight forwarder that I asked one of my fellow Troy Birch Foundation fellows about. I was like, hey, does anyone have a good freight forwarder? I'm really frustrated with my freight forwarder and bunch of recommendations. So yeah, it's been fantastic. And then in addition, they, every fellow gets a $5,000 education grant, which I have yet to decide what I will spend it on. But yeah, I'll have the opportunity to either hire a business coach or take a course or do something that will further my um, sort of business knowledge, which I'm very much so looking forward to. Perhaps a trip to Crested Butte where we can sit down and just drink and exchange, you know, business war stories. Yeah, there you something. go. <laughs> Does that count? Yeah, sure. Does that count? Because I'd be in for that if you, if you, uh, if you want to put that together. All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, you probably wouldn't learn anything, but I probably would. Well, can we ride bikes? <laughs> yes. Well, of course we could ride bikes. Okay, great. So, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this one out. Let's talk, finally, maybe we've buried the lead here a bit, but let's talk a bit about some of the highlights. By the way, that was just wild impressive. You know, when I first learned about Wild Rye, I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, they're, you know, women-led company making some mountain bike apparel was kind of my first, how I first, you know, learned about Wild Rye. You know, so we're making some cool shorts with cool patterns. It's like, no, you're thinking about all, all of it. You're thinking about all of it in the broadest possible way of women in business. And like, it's really impressive what you're, what you're doing. And so I, this is always so exciting to me when I, you know, you first learn about it and you just see the little bit about like, oh, cool prints on shorts. And it's like, you don't even understand, you know, 
like that's literally the 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 depth yeah and it's incredibly cool what you're up to and how you're thinking about all of this so i appreciate you sharing everything that you just did with us but back to wild riot in particular let's talk a bit about some of the highlights some of the the growth what you're thinking about maybe trajectory Oh gosh, where do I even begin? I have to say like the missteps and the failures definitely like really stick out in my brain, but, um, we've definitely had a lot of victories over the last couple of years, which is why we're still here. Well, okay. One, you got into REI. Not everybody does. That's true. Yeah. Getting into REI was a huge win and it took a lot of hustle and a lot of like, hey, <laughs> asking everyone that we could possibly ask, who's the bike buyer? Who do I talk to? Um, and then we ultimately got a hold of the bike buyer and she invited us to this innovator series and we got there and we were like, you know, trying to sell her on our brand. And she finally was like, Hey, let's just kick, like jump to the good stuff. I already know about your brand. I already know we want to carry you like show me the product. And we're like, whew, okay, like, great. But that's been an incredibly fruitful relationship for us. I mean, we have a really phenomenal relationship with our, our buyer and the cycling buying team at REI. And they've been incredibly supportive of us. And we've got some really cool things in the works with them for spring 22 in particular. So that's still a year out, but, um, feel like we've been working on it for years. So yeah, REI, incredible. We just launched a collab with Pivot Cycles, which is really, really exciting for me personally and for the brand. Um, because like you said, I feel like we were thought of as like, oh, women-led brand with cute things on their shorts. Well, Pivot came to us and we're like, no, we've actually ridden your shorts. Like we've tested them. They are the most durable shorts, male or female shorts that we've ever ridden we want to do a collab with you because we value quality and precision and performance above all else. And you guys are a good match for us. So that's really cool because it feels like we're finally getting recognized for more than just like llamas on shorts by the bike industry. <laughs> Not to downplay the llamas on shorts though. We can have fun. <laughs> we can have fun while being quality. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. I mean, we won the Title IX Movers and Makers Pitch Fest last two falls ago, and they've been an incredible retail partner with us. Due to bandwidth, we hadn't been able to do as much with a, a specialty retailer uh, footprint until I hired my very first full-time hire, Holly O'Brien, who was formerly one of the only female bicycle reps in the country. And she moved to Idaho and she's done an incredible job. We'll be in so many specialty retailers this spring. And we're really excited because, you know, we love REI and Title IX so much for all that they have been able to do for us, but we also really value our local bike shop. So being able to have a presence in our local bike shops this spring will be really, really cool and really important for us. So that's been a major win, just seeing like our preseason orders grow with, you know, just opening up the time to follow up. <laughs> okay. Related question. This maybe is a little bit different than like the resume highlights, right? Or like the kind of CV highlights for a company or something. What are the like one or two moments that stand out for you where they were just like phenomenally good moments? And it could have been, you know, when you learned that you were, you know, got into the Tory Birch Foundation Fellows Program or something or, or REI or what have you. But I don't know, sometimes they're smaller moments. 
So it could be a real big announcement thing or kind of more of a private moment, but I know you've had some of these. Mm-hmm. Well, you named two of them, definitely REI and Title IX's Pitch Fest and the Tory Burch Foundation Fellowship, very big highlights for me. Being able to offer my very first employee a full-time position was like cause for serious celebration for me because it was like I... I'm not in this alone anymore. <laughs> I am taking the risk to commit to another human being in their life. And it just means that a hundred percent, I will make this work because now it's not just me involved uh, and just like the relationship that we've built. And we just hired our second full-time employee Monday. She started wow. Um, and Cammy came from Osprey pack. So having someone come from like a very legitimate, you know, outdoor industry brand, who's done some incredible work, just building a team has been in, like one of my favorite parts, um, and building a team of women and building a team here in Sun Valley. It's just sort of the merging of so many things that are incredibly important to me in the wake of COVID there was so much uncertainty. And I remember just being completely paralyzed in March for many, many reasons, like unable to send out a newsletter because I didn't know what to say or how to talk to our community, being sick, having a baby, having some retailers cancel POs because of their uncertainty and having this panic that I'm going to be stuck with all of this inventory because as we grow, you bet on yourself. And, <laughs> and there was definitely a couple of weeks where we're like, Oh gosh, like, was that a very, very bad idea? And then waking up, I just remember I, this is a very personal moment, post baby got on my bike for the first time postpartum with my husband. We went to Haley road cry Canyon and I got off my bike and we had like thousands of dollars of orders. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I don't know what just happened. I mean, I'd started to turn on the marketing funnel. We launched a campaign called Masks for Mountain Towns, where we were giving, um, when it worked with one of our factories to create masks to donate to organizations in need um, in our mountain communities because we were all being hit so hard. And so that was the marketing I'd done since COVID. But just having this like moment where I was like, okay, we're not going to sink this year. Like people are buying our product. <laughs> like we're getting money in the bank account and just seeing the trajectory, it felt like the, the switch flipped overnight. And so it was like the merger of like me feeling like myself again, being on my bike postpartum and then having my business baby, like really turn a corner. I keep picturing like a moment where you're, I don't know if you had like a first moment when you're in the ski lodge or out on a trail and you see somebody wearing your product that you don't know. And you're like, I made that. And you have it now. Like, were there any of those moments? Because that that just seems like it'd be so exciting. No, I, gosh, where was I? I remember being somewhere. I was like, that person's wearing wild rye and I don't even know them. (laughs) And then there was another moment where someone reported back. They're like, oh yeah, I overheard these girls in Moab, like basically gossiping about what the next wild rye prints were being. They, you know, and one of them's guessing tacos and someone else is guessing this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, this is so cool. It's like a trail conversation about what's going to be the, you know, next year's prints. Cause we do all limited edition. And so, yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Well, Cassie, before, you know, we let our guests go, we do 
tend to like to ask the question like, so what's your big idea? I feel like you just shared like, I don't know, at least 11 with us. I love so much how you're thinking about like all of it. Like Kristen has heard me say this a lot. You know, it's kind of like chess. You're If you're a decent chess player, you're looking five moves ahead. If you're really good, you're probably more like 20 moves ahead type of thing. And so I guess I'd be curious to ask you, you've already you're doing things. You've got, you know, women-led Wednesdays and 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 these different ideas. What are you seeing as like the next thing that you would love either do yourself or have somebody else do it to just kind of put in place as you're continuing to think about the whole like architectonics of like women in business? Let's see. I think I need to back up a, a minute to tell the background of the story, but I used to do PR for like hard goods ski brands and spent, you know, several years at Powder Week. And I remember sitting around with like my fellow, you know, in minority, but like women who were in attendance working for brands or testers or whatever, and looking around and being like, there's literally no moms in this room. And the one mom that did come to Powder Week came for a day and then left. And you know, I remember sitting around talking to my ski industry lady crew, Lady Shred, and talking about how do we keep women in the industry after they become moms? Because it is a challenging place to be the primary caregiver, work in an industry where you don't have an excess of money to throw at childcare, and keep women in the industry. Because no question, like, I think the percentage, I don't have any stats to back, back this up. This is just gut feeling. But like, that women start to leave the industry once they, they get to um, building a family. And now I'm in that position where I have a one-year-old and I so passionately want to be in this industry for forever. And I want other women to be able to be in the industry for, for, for forever. So how do we recreate, say, what Patagonia has done with their child care program for the industry as a whole? Because I think that in order for the industry to really be equally for women as they are for men. Like we need to keep women moving up the ladder at all brands and in media and everywhere within the industry. And so I don't have an answer to that one by any means, but my big idea um, in the same vein as everything else I'm working on is keeping women in the outdoor industry. I love that. Excellent answer. And and speaking to another mom. Yeah, and well, I'm um, a different perspective of it too because I quit my other job when I had a child because I thought it was less conducive to being a mom. Like I'd have to have him in daycare nine to five, but then I came to Blister and it's been a lot easier to have flexible hours. So seeing that other side of the industry, but not in the depths of all these other professionals that are in the industry that might not have that flexibility. So I, I like this idea. We should keep talking about this. Let's definitely keep talking about this. Yeah. I mean, it's just the amount of travel that's required, I think is like, I think that I've survived the last year because no one's traveling, but when travel picks up again, like it's going to be stressful <laughs> and I'm going to be feeling like I'm dropping a ball either in my business or with my child, like every other week. And that's not a good place to be. And I think that's why a lot of women do end up leaving the industry or don't show up to like the really big networking events that don't feel as, as integral to your, you know, and necessary for your job, but they are integral and necessary for continuing your growth within the industry. So. Well, another big idea. Well done. You're full of them. 
we're gonna have to have you back on like probably every other week <laughs> just to keep like keep up and get the get the latest. Count me in. <laughs> I'll hang out anytime. Cassie, really, this has been so great, and it's so cool to learn more. As I've said multiple times now, I'm sorry, but to learn more about the trajectory of Wild Rye. To have you so openly talk about some of the challenges, I think is really important. I always underscore to people who are thinking about starting something, like listen to these stories, listen to these examples. And so I, I hope people take me up on that. And then again, just to like to hear you talk about how you're kind of seeing the whole map and that the things that you're adding to the map and creating yourself it's really cool and uh we're sure rooting for you thank you i really really appreciate it it's fun having a bunch of cheerleaders along for this journey so thanks for the support well on that note we will let you get back to it but cassie and Kristen, thanks so much for the good conversation we'll talk to you both soon i hope sounds good thanks guys well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you enjoyed this episode, then we would really appreciate it if you would take 30 seconds to leave us a rating or review in iTunes, share the episode with your friends, and of course, subscribe to Bikes and Big Ideas. I also want to say thanks to Cassie and Kristen for the great conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again tomorrow over on our Gear 30 podcast feed. Take care, everybody. Talk to you soon. <laughs>